Hi, I'm Delphine Pease from the Contextual Safeguarding Team at the University of Bedfordshire. Today, I am speaking with Luke Billingham. Luke is a youth worker at Hackney Quest, a local youth organisation supporting young people in Hackney. Today, we will discuss a briefing that Luke recently wrote about sports cages in Hackney. So hi, Luke. Thank you for recording this podcast with us. Hello. We're very excited to have you as our first Spotlight feature on the Contextual Safeguarding Network. My colleagues and I really enjoyed reading your briefing and learning about sports cages. And like you highlight in the briefing, the significance of these spaces for young people and for the wider community is often overlooked. From a safeguarding perspective, they can be highly relevant because of their capacity to be both spaces of safety and spaces of harm for young people. And as you explain in the briefing, they are important locations to consider as part of a contextual approach to safeguarding. So could you begin by telling us why are you interested in sports cages in particular and why are they important to young people and why should we consider them when adopting a contextual approach to safeguarding? So there's a, there's a definite kind of personal element to, to my love of sports cages. So I grew up in Hackney myself and we're blessed in Hackney with, with sports cages all across the area. That There's basically not, not an estate without a cage. Um, and I really enjoyed playing different sports in them. And, and they were just really important kind of pieces of social infrastructure for me and for other young people growing up. There were places where you met friends. There were places where you could play sport. And importantly, there were places where where you could play with some degree of parental oversight. So they're often right near where families live. And so parents can kind of keep an eye, or at least they, they know where their, their children are. And then we did the Hackney Wick Through Young Eyes research report a couple of years ago. And that really reaffirmed the fact that even young people who lived quite close to large green spaces and, and parks and so on would often still say that their neighbourhood sports cage was the best thing in their area or, or the thing that they most liked. Um, and so I've been kind of thinking about cages in different ways for a long time. And then since the coronavirus pandemic um, has obviously put considerable restrictions on what we can do as youth workers, I've been meeting and, and spending time with young people more and more in sports cages as opposed to in our youth centre. So a lot of the kind of mentoring work that I've been doing has been done through a kind of tour of all the different sports cages and meeting young people outside their flat and then walking to the cage. And, and so I've seen again, just how valuable they, they are for young people in the, in the community. And, then, and I think there's a kind of, there's a few different reasons why cages are so important to young people in the kind of the current time I, th I think one thing is the extent of the, the the sense of ownership and belonging that a lot of young people have on their estate and on their cage on their estate there's a lot of forces that restrict young people's sense of belonging and, and ownership in different parts of their neighborhoods there's a lot more private land there's a lot more gentrification there's a there's a lot more fenced off areas that the urban spaces in general i think often feel a bit more exclusive um, and feel more kind of privatized and so i think if you're growing up on a housing estate or or in, in an inner city area the sports cage is often a place that feels accessible and feels like woven into to your neighborhood and is almost always free i think that's the very basic thing they're they're mm. free to use for young people usually basically at any time of day um and they're easily accessible um, and they're a place of freedom when it comes to playing different sports because you can hoof the ball around as much as you want with a sense of real freedom because you're in 
you're in a little cage. And I think that kind of unbounded freedom, even though you're in a, even though you're in a cage, is really important for young people. And I think that that parental oversight makes a big difference as well. Mm, definitely. And what status do cages have for young people, in your opinion? And how are they different to other contexts and locations? So I think a, a really important part of contextual safeguarding is obviously viewing the lives of young people through the, through the eyes and through the perspective of young people, thinking about all the institutions, the organisations, the peer groups, the, the family members that they spend time in or, or spend time with. And one thing that I'm interested in is the the kind of different status for young people of the places they have to go to, like school, the places they choose to go to, like youth centres or, or faith organisations or, or cultural groups, and then the places they live in, places like parks, places like cages. Those different kinds of place feel very different for young people and have a, have a different kind of status for young people. And when we think about making them safer, and when we think about any kind of intervention in them, we just need to be aware of the different kinds of approach that we need to take in light of the nature of that relationship that that young person has with a place. When it comes to school, young people have to go to school. And so mm. if there's, if there's peer-on-peer peer abuse, for instance, in their school, and the, and the school isn't doing much to stop it or isn't doing enough to stop it, the fact that that young person has to legally attend that school repeatedly is a really important component of that problem. In the same way, in more informal kind of youth centres or community centres or, or cultural institutions or, or faith groups, faith organisations, a young person's relationship with, with that institution and organisation is voluntary and, and is often more informal and it's based on trusting relationships and it's based on choice. And that presents all kinds of opportunities for that young person to benefit from that kind of rich, supportive community around them. But obviously the informality can, can present risks as well in, in terms of safeguarding. And then when it comes to the places that young people live in, and so they kind of naturally spend time there and, and they dwell in them, again, it just makes it vitally important that any kind of change or intervention done in that space doesn't undermine the extent to which they feel a sense of ownership and, and belonging in, in their own neighbourhood. Because I think especially if there are issues in the family home or, or issues in school or, or issues in, in other kind of spaces that young people dwell in, it's incredibly important for them to feel free and safe and, and a real rich sense of belonging in the places they live in. Mm. So clearly there are many reasons why cages are important to young people and communities. Why do you think their importance is often overlooked? Partly for social class reasons. A lot, a lot of our decision makers, a lot of our power holders, grew up in private housing and, and had a garden. And so when they look at uh, sports cages, they, they often, I think, view them through a, through a kind of deficit lens. And, and they'll be like, oh, isn't it a shame that those young people just have that concrete cage to play in? Wouldn't it be lovely if they all had these lovely, luscious gardens with delightful greenery? Um, and there's, you know, there's something to that. I'm not saying no, no one should have a garden. <laughs> But what you miss then is the immense value of the of these spaces. And, and I think for especially for working class communities and, and communities growing up in social housing, they're, they're incredibly important pieces of social infrastructure where, where, as you alluded to, there can be a lot of cohesion and togetherness and belonging and all those positive things. Um, but they can also be places of significant risk and, and, and harm. And so I think for, for all of those reasons, we need more analytical attention, exploring the, the values and the dangers that, that each cage has.
Mm. And part of that as well is, is understanding why they are so important to young people. So you mentioned the reasons why, uh, but in your report, you go even further and you highlight cages as important content for young people where social, cultural, symbolic and economic capitals are at play. Can you give us some examples of what you mean by this? Yes, I think, uh, first of all, I'd like to emphasise that the vast majority of the report, I think, is very readable and accessible. So I don't uh, kind of, um, I don't get too theoretical. Absolutely, no, I can confirm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Extremely clear and, and well written. Um, yeah, and, and, but obviously I, I recognise the importance of um, Pierre Bourdieu's work for the kind of theoretical framework. And I think basically, like, obviously what Bourdieu's theories of, of capital come, comes down to is wh what are the things that an individual can have that gives them status, that gives them power, that gives them influence of different kinds within different contexts. Yes. So the obvious one is economic capital, where you've got money, which can then enable you to do certain things that you wouldn't be able to if you didn't. But in certain contexts, having cultural capitals, so having kind of cultural knowledge, which is valued and which gives you status, can be just as consequential. Um, and so in the context of cages, I, I tried to make the point that, first of all, when it comes to economic capital, young people that I work with are crying out for accessible and appealing work opportunities. And too often they're expected to kind of schlep around a shopping center with their CV and then be treated indifferently. There's not enough work opportunities where young people are that can be aligned with their daily life and, and um, with, it, with the positive contributions that they can make to their community. And so there are really good examples of young people being paid, trained and paid to run sport activities on the cage on their own estate. And so they become kind of community guardians and, and they become um, positive role models and they become workers in, in their local community. So cages can be kind of sites where there's, where there's work opportunities. So that's the kind of economic capital. Um, they can be places of important social capital. So that's all to do with having kind of valuable social connections because cages are often places where young people build up connections with, with other local young people, with other parents, with other kind of people on the, on, on the estate or in their local community. So it kind of weaves them in to their local neighborhood. And, and cultural capital as well in, in terms of what is valued by their peers. Mm. So in school, you might, you might get a lot of kind of credit and you might get a good exam result if you can reel off the name of certain theatres and certain plays and certain works of literature. Whereas on the sports cage, when you're playing with your friends, what will have more cultural capital and what will be more kind of significant when it comes to status relationships will be, might be knowledge of football teams or knowledge of certain sports. And often that takes just as much kind of cognitive capacity and as much intelligence. And so as opposed to the home or the school or other environments, cages are places in which other kinds of knowledge and other kinds of understanding have, have, has capital is kind of worthwhile and valued and can be an important part of friendships and important part of the local culture. That's when the kind of symbolic capital comes in again in terms of prestige and status and, and recognition. Um, and I quote um, Henry Giroux, in, in the paper, Henry Giroux, a, a, I think he's Canadian-American, no, he's American, sorry, um, educational and, and social theorist. And he talks really beautifully about the basketball cage um, in his community where he grew up and talks about it being a place where all the things that, that he valued in his working class community 
could be kind of exchanged and discussed and there were certain types of skill that, that you demonstrated um, in, in the court that got you the respect of your peers. Um, and, and because their, their culture was often undervalued in educational institutions and the kind of skills and traits that they had weren't recognized in more formal settings, the basketball court was just a really important place for them to be able to express themselves and, and exchange their kind of cultural knowledge and, and the things that, that were really highly prized among their peer group. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And in your report, you propose a framework for assessing the safeguarding risks and protective factors for cages. Could you tell us a bit more about this framework in terms of what sort of things would you look at and which stakeholders would be involved in this piece of work? Yeah, so I guess, first of all, the, the first thing that kind of makes the framework significant, I think, or, or makes it needed is certain characteristics to do with cages. So, so one important point that I've noticed is that they're, they're one, one of few places where you get kind of intergenerational mixing mm -hmm. of, an in, in, of an informal kind. So a lot of young people will only mix with other kind of generations or other ages of young people in maybe school or maybe within their own families or in religious institutions, whereas cages are often kind of neighborhood meeting points of people of different ages. Um, and that can be a purely positive thing or that can come with risks. Um, and so one of the first things in the framework is, is exploring on a basic level who uses the cages, uh, of what ages, of what gender, and what, what, what's the na nature of the kind of the dynamics between the different people using the, the cage, because that can obviously, be, it can make the place a place of real kind of safety and belonging and mutual support or it can at worst be a place of exploitation where older young people or, or adults um, know that they can find younger young people um, and, and as we know that can come with all kinds of different risks um, so, so that's one of the, the main elements is just analyzing the usage um, and that then can play into different can kind of feed into different actions to make the place safer um, and one of the things that can make a place safer is bringing in enough structured activity and, and kind of organized activities to diversify the cages usage. Um, so have activities for girls as well as boys, have activities for younger kids as well as older kids, et cetera, to kind of broaden the sen sense of ownership over the space and to stop it being um, kind of the territory of any particular group, which, which can be more of a, a negative thing. Um, and then there's, there's kind of physical component, components as well that I think are interesting and important to look at, like the extent to which other members of the community have kind of oversight over it and can kind of see into the cage, the extent to which there's kind of, it, it's accessible from outside the estate. And if people are walking through the estate, they'll go past the cage, the nature of the lighting and where it's positioned within the estate, um, when it's open and when it's locked, if it's ever locked, um, who has access to it, um, and when um, and whether the, the the nature of the organized provision on the cage as well and, and the the value or the risks there so there's some brilliant really well organized sports organizations who, who run provision on cages mm. um, and then there's much more informal activities that happen where you know it's kind of uh, one person off the estate who doesn't even know what a DBS check is let alone having one running activities for a load of younger um 
for, for children, young people off the estate. And, and I don't say that to mean that's always a negative thing. There can be positives there. Um, but in order to bolster the safety and, and the kind of um, the, 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 the safety of it as a context, if there are those more informal activities taking place, then obviously that, that then leads to questions about training and DBS checks and kind of suitably increasing the formality to an extent in order to protect those young people um, in the most kind of appropriate ways. Mm, great. Thank you. And, and just for um, those of you listening to us, so the framework is very uh, clearly laid out in the report with sections of the different things you could look at and some suggestions of, of things that you would think about um, to assess safety and make it safer, make cages safer. Yeah. Um, so it's essentially just a, a list of questions it, to think yeah. about. Yeah, but you, you've organized it clearly into a table. Um, and it's helpful and you've really tried to link contextual safeguarding into it as well. Um, so yeah, I'm, yeah that, that's a very helpful um, initial um, yeah, framework. And so um, a, a question that those reading the report might have, and it is a very tricky question because there's no kind of consistent answer around this nationally, uh, but it's, it's one around thresholds. So at which point in a child protection process might an assessment of a sports cage be appropriate? And would, would there be any thresholds for a statutory assessment of cages as locations? Um, so, so I think it is, is a difficult question. And um, I think that there's a kind of broader question about who should be involved in making cages safer and kind of when and in what ways and, and about how formal or informal that can be. Because um, I think there's a whole different range of people and a whole different range of means to, who, sorry, a whole different range of people can be involved mm. in making a cage safer for a whole different range of, of means. I don't think it can kind of, obviously it shouldn't be limited to just the kind of statutory intervention on the basis of, of specific child protection concerns. Um, in terms of threshold, I think that there's good work that's come out of the contextual safeguarding pilot in Hackney in terms of um, thresholds for the, for the safety of contexts. Um, so to do with a kind of pattern of local concerns from residents or teachers or youth workers um, to do with particular locations, um, or obviously in a, in a more kind of standard way, reported crimes, um, if, if, they, if they're a certain number of crimes have, have occurred in or near to a certain kind of cage. But I think the most important thing is, is about, as I say, firstly, respecting community ownership over the cage. If, I, I think it's almost more important than, obviously the, the question of threshold and at what point kind of statutory services should get involved is a really big one and, and, and I think it's, it's, it's a difficult one and I don't have a kind of really clear answer. I'm more interested or, or I kind of am more confident, I guess, talking about the extent to which community ownership over the cage needs to be re respect when, when you are trying to make it safer and the extent to which you can, you can use kind of community guardianship and local voluntary organizations and those who are coming into that space already or observing that space already in order to make small changes that can make a big difference to its safety. That's a really important point. And related to that, what would you say are some of the risks to avoid when making a cage safer? Um, I think the last thing that, that I would want, certainly, is there being a kind of enforcement of formality, mm. you know, locking the cage and then it has to be booked at a certain time and you have to use an online form and you have to pay money to use it, all that kind of stuff. And you don't want to do anything that would undermine the sense of belonging. 
that local people have over that cage and you wouldn't want it, you wouldn't want local to, people to feel like the council are coming in and taking over the cage or the council are coming in and running things differently in the estate in, in a manner which feels like a kind of imposition from above it should feel like a kind of negotiation between the relevant authorities um, and those who use the cage um, and, and other kind of community stakeholders. So assuming that some sort of threshold has been met and the cage um, is the subject of an assessment, could you give some examples of actions that can be taken to make the cage safer? Yeah, so I, I think first of all, um, there's a kind of ideal scenario in terms of the diversity of people who are involved in that kind of assessment and that action planning. Um, so I think local residents, organized residents groups like TRAs, um, young people themselves, maybe a local school, local sports organization, um, and then obviously relevant council people, um, not just from safeguarding, but people who are involved with the kind of upkeep and the maintenance of the cage mm. could, could and should all be involved. Um, and then I think there, there are some things that could be um, kind of asserted by local residents to get decision makers to change. So, for instance, lighting. Um, sometimes there's no lighting at all in cages. Um, sometimes the lighting is really, really shoddy. And I think the lighting can make a big difference. Um, and so I think there can be a conversation there that's kind of resident led about the kind of lighting that's needed to make it safer. And then that, that becomes a decision for the, the local councillors or, or for, the, for the council to kind of resolve that issue. So that's quite, quite a kind of physical infrastructural thing. And the same with locks. So local residents and, and young people themselves might say that the TRA should put a lock on, on the cage, for instance, um, at night time and then leave it open all day, but lock, like, lock it at certain points. So that's another kind of physical thing. Um, and then there's, there's more informal things to do with community guardianship. Um, so that that's where different local residents or, or parents could take on responsibilities for kind of oversight over the cage at different times of day um and and obviously negotiating that with kind of young people who use the cage and ensuring that, that that's kind of communicated clearly um and then i think there can be conversations about um bringing in organized activities so if there are if are, there are local Youth organisations, they could their detached youth workers could kind of include the, the cage in their patch. If there's local sports organisations, community sports organisations, they could potentially be brought in. They could be paid to run activities on the cage, or it could just be kind of included in their local provision. Um, and then I think that the real ideal is is to get to a point where there's training and support and payment for older local young people to be providing coaching and activities for, for youngers on the estate and that could involve obviously kind of well set up local sports organizations delivering some sessions on the cage and then coaching and, and supporting some of the young people from from the cage to become coaches themselves mm. um, and, and then you can you can get the ideal scenario in which there's kind of in, employment opportunities and kind of opportunities for, for kind of paid responsibility for young people in a manner that also then improves the safety and the kind of quality of the safeguarding in general in that space. Yeah, you know, these are very helpful examples. And again, very important being youth led, like you say, and thinking about broader opportunities for young people and not just about the physical safety of the case. When, when it comes to the assessment as well, mm -hmm. so I just remembered something else. I think obviously um, 
that can be done over a certain period of time. So you could have a kind of initial meeting about concerns, about risk factors, about protective okay. factors. But then if a more detailed assessment is, is needed over a certain period of time, then again, young people could be trained and, and residents could be trained to do a kind of audit over the space. Um, and, and again, I think that that's work. Like there's, there's a lot of prof professional people who would expect to be paid to do a, a number of things, which sometimes we then expect young people to do or volunteers to do without payment. If there are people on an estate who are willing to put work into doing a fairly detailed audit or assessment of, of their own space, then kind of they should be also, uh, they should be paid for that, ensure that they do it kind of to a high standard. And, and I think those kind of things can, can break down the divisions that are often all too well established between social services and residents or between mm. kind of local authority in general and residents. It, it, when it comes to things like sports cages, the kind of very localized neighborhood facilities, they, they can only be made safer through a genuine collaboration between those who live near it and, and use it and the relevant authorities who have the expertise to, to know what, what the kind of risk factors are and, and how to build up protective factors. Absolutely. And in the report, you highlight two important tensions which are very much linked to this idea of local ownership. And so these tensions are, on one hand, the challenge of making cages safer, but also making sure that their value to local residents is not lost. And then the second tension, on the other hand, is balancing freedom of access to the cage with its diversity of usage. Can you tell us a bit more about these two tensions? I think that the key thing is to retain the kind of informality and the accessibility whilst making more collaborative and, and perhaps subtler changes to make it safer. Um, and so I just think getting the balance right between making it as safe as possible, but also making it have as much community value and to be as accessible as possible is key. And that, and that I think ties into the related kind of problem or tension between making the cage as freely accessible as possible to, for people to use whatever ways they want a, a, as much as they want any kind of time of day and then ensuring that they don't become the kind of exclusive territory of any group so yeah. the kind of stereotypical um, situation is for a cage to be dominated by like older teenage males playing football and basketball and it can seem like it's kind of their turf and no one else wants to use it and so I think in those scenarios, bringing in some organized provision at certain times of day on certain days to have a girls only session of football or basketball or another sport or having a session for older people's walking football or other activity or like Tai Chi or, or, or anything. I, I think some organized provision can, can both obviously within the, the time that those, those, those provisions are happening allow other groups to use the cage, but it can also hopefully broaden the sense of ownership. So uh -huh. if there's a 14 year old girl who never used to go in the cage before, who then has football training there at, at 7 p.m. on a Thursday, then maybe she'll feel a lot more comfortable with her friends to be playing more informally on a Saturday, for instance, in a way that maybe previously she would have been hesitant to do because it would have seemed like it's for boys and it's for, for older boys. Um, so I think that balance between maximally diversifying the usage of the cage while also keeping it freely accessible for like the vast majority of the time is, is another kind of important balance to strike. Great well thank you very much Luke for sharing the really interesting 
research around sports cages. Are you happy for our network members to contact you if they would like to know more about the report or if they have any questions or suggestions about the framework? Yeah, definitely. I'd, I'd, I'd kind of encourage that because mm -hmm. I'm aware that there'll be, there'll be people in other parts of the country kind of looking at these issues and thinking about these issues. And I've researched as much as I can kind of existing literature about sports cages, but I'm sure there's a lot more out there. Um, and so any kind of constructive criticism or, or feedback or comments on, on what I've written would be really welcome. And people can just email me, luke at hackneyquest.org.uk. Um, my email address is, is on the report itself. And yeah, I, I really welcome kind of comments and, and kind of conversations about this. Thank you very much, Luke. Thanks very much. Thank you.